Greetings to one and all. This is Dr. Fur, Chris Ryan, also known as Dr. Fur to some of my friends. I don't really know why. I think Anya called me Dr. Fur by mistake once and everybody laughed, so they keep calling me Dr. Fur. The only people who've ever called me Dr. Ryan with any seriousness are people who were interviewing me. Uh, and I think that made them feel important and they thought they were being polite to me. But as you've probably heard me say before, um, having been married to a medical doctor for years, uh, I always felt embarrassed when people call me doctor. I'm not a fucking doctor. I don't deliver babies. I've never saved anyone's life. I've never, uh, you know, reached in and rearranged somebody's innards. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, doctor, that's a bunch of bullshit. The only time my friends ever called me doctor was the guys I used to play poker with. And they always called me doc. They only called me doctor when they were taking my money. Thank you very much, doctor. You know, as they raked the chips toward them and away from me. So anyway, if you ever hear anybody calling me doctor, just know that I'm cringing inside even though I understand they're trying to be nice. This is uh, this is going to be one of these uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants episodes. Um, I'm home alone, which doesn't happen very often. And uh, I, just, I just wanted to say hi. Just wanted to reach out and talk to you a little bit. Uh, I, wish, I wish you would talk back. I wish I could hear you. Um, I do hear you when you send in your snippets. Uh, which you can send to that Chris Ryan at gmail dot com. It's funny. I used to, I used to uh, have like special email addresses for those things, and over the years, I've just you know, and I was doing that to like kind of set up some sort of a filtration system so that my personal email address wasn't just out there for the world to to have and to abuse, but. Um, as time's gone on, I, I've come to trust you. And uh, I don't know. I, I think I think the audience has changed. I feel like um, people who would abuse something like that or who just, you know, trolls or whatever, they've all gotten either bored or uh, they've found someone else to go after or whatever. I, I'm not saying it was always wonderful, but in the last few years, I really don't get any kind of bullshit. Um, whatever emails I get are from good people. And um, yeah, so that's my actual email address, that Chris Ryan at gmail.com. So um, I can't promise you I'll answer your email if you send me one, but that is my email address and it will be in my inbox and it might sit there for years and years as things sometimes do. But anyway, I'm just laying it out there. It occurred to me the other day I was driving down the road and uh, I was listening to a podcast. It was a really good podcast, by the way. It was... um Broken Record by um, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, as you may know, is a music producer, a really interesting cat. He just came out with a book about creativity, uh, which was ghostwritten by my friend Neil Strauss. And um, anyways, listen to Rick Rubin. He interviews musicians on this podcast. And um, 
it's cool because a lot of the musicians have worked with him. You know, he's produced their records or so they have a sort of a, you know, personal relationship and they have a history. And uh, so it's not like a musician talking to a journalist where they're, you know, trying to translate uh, to a non-artist what they're doing. So it's really just like listening to a couple of friends talking. And um, there are lots of episodes that I've really enjoyed of that podcast. Uh, there's one where he's talking with Tom Petty's daughter, which was memorable. Um, Daryl, I don't remember his last name, from Run DMC. Daryl McDaniels or McDaniel something, um, who tells that amazing story about discovering Sarah McLaughlin when he was feeling suicidal and his whole life transformed. There's a conversation with um, Andre 3000 from Outcast that's just incredible. And it's it's so cool because these conversations get really personal, right? They're not they're not your typical kind of press, you know, on tour promoting your album interview. They're extremely personal. And uh, anyway, the one I was listening to was with, um, now I'm spacing his name, John Frusciante, the guitarist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And um, man, oh, just such a good conversation. And and so I think there are like four parts on the podcast. I'm talking about, it was either part one or part two. Um, I mean, they're like, four episodes of this conversation with John Frusciante. They just kept going and going and going and going. And um, if you're into the Red Hot Chili Peppers at all, I'd highly recommend that. I know he also spoke with Flea and with uh, the other guys, Chad and you know everybody in the band. And I haven't listened to those yet, but I will. Uh, my point was that – what the fuck was my point? My point – First of all, my main my point on this tangent here is to turn you onto that podcast and this conversation with John Frusciante because I mean, this guy's you know he's one of the great guitarists of contemporary rock and roll for sure right if, most people would put him up there you know top ten living guitarists um, and listening to him talk about his his creative process, the way he thinks, the way he plays, the way he feels when he's on stage, his relationship with the other guys in the band. Um, you may or may not know that he left the band for four or five years and just like went off the fucking deep end, like deep into heroin. And um, I don't know what other drugs he was on, but he was like, it was bad. I mean, there's a, there's a point where, Rick says, you know, I remember the last time I, when I came to visit you in your house and there was like, there was blood and vomit everywhere and like you had lost all your teeth and like it was bad and you, you like, you must have weighed like 80 pounds. I mean, it really looked like you were going away. And I mean, that's how deep this goes. And, and Frusciante's like, yeah, I remember that. And, and they, you know, they, they talk about what he was doing, why he was in this state of addiction. And, and really interestingly, what, what Frusciante describes is that his creativity, he, he, 
his he would see music he he had what he describes as synesthesia where when he listened to music he would sort of enter into this altered state and he could see it he could see shapes and colors and and it was this very tangible kind of thing and he felt that he was losing that that started to fade out and he was already with the chili peppers they had already put out a couple of albums they were already you know up and coming rock stars and he felt he was losing this connection to music and the only time that he could get this feeling back was when he was high and basically he felt like i would rather die than lose this connection and so he just got high and high and high and it actually you know sort of counterintuitively or ironically it it made him unable to play and destroyed his career and and he left the band and like it was it was you know it was like it was his commitment to creativity that destroyed almost destroyed his life and his ability to create it's a anyway great conversation uh and you can just hear the that the guy is just so genuine he's so genuine he's not it's not about being a rock star and the girls and the the fame and the money it's just it's all about that feeling um yeah beautiful beautiful conversation anyway so so my point was i'm driving down the road i'm listening to this conversation and and it occurs to me like Rick Rubin and I are probably close to the same age. I think I'm probably a few years older than him, actually. Uh, I'm not sure, but I th- and and it occurs to me like I might be one of the oldest podcasters because you know podcasting blew up after I was already doing it. I've been doing this like 11 years now, I think, and. Um, you know, it really got, I mean, Rogan, when I started, Rogan had one of the biggest podcasts, but he was getting maybe 150, 200,000 downloads an episode. So, you know, now he's probably getting close to 2 million downloads an episode. Um, You know, so that was the top of the mountain then, you know, Rogan, <laughs> I guess the point is Rogan's been at the top of this mountain for a long time, but the mountain has grown a lot. And I was already, you know, I was already pushing 50 or maybe I was 50 when I started the podcast. And most people start podcasts are much younger, obviously. It's a, it's a new technology. It's a new medium. Anyway, I'm not sure what that matters. Um, and it's, it's a strange market niche to occupy, you know, like the old guy podcaster, but uh, I guess that's where I am. I don't know. I'm 61 now. I turned 61 about a month ago. and uh, But I'm feeling good. Things are good. Uh, and I don't know, 61, from where I'm sitting, it doesn't feel old. Like, I don't know. I think, you know, when you have a health crisis, suddenly you feel old. But if your body's working okay and you're sleeping all right and you know, you're, I mean, I think the, the, the vehicle, the, uh, matters a lot. Like if you've got an old car, but it runs well, like it's cool, you know, it's a, it's a classic. 
Uh, it's when it starts breaking down that that it becomes an old, shitty car. So I guess um, at this point, I feel like a, kind of a classic, um, you know, not a Model T. Maybe I'm like a, you know, 76 Bronco or something. That's how I see myself. Do you see yourself as a car? I guess guys particularly this would appeal to. Like if you were a car, what kind of car would you be? I mean, I think if I were a car, like I, I sometimes think I'd be like a Toyota Tacoma, you know, four-wheel drive, pretty good gas mileage, reliable, starts up in the morning, you know, can kind of schlep your stuff around, but not a sports car for sure. Not super expensive, definitely not like a Rolls or a Cadillac or any of that. So it's sort of, I don't know, it's weird. It's weird how cars are, how cars have faces on them, you know, the grill and the headlights and all that. Anyway, so there you have it. That's my first scintillating insight for you today. I'm going to play you a song. Uh, I, I get music... Uh, when I'm in my car, in my old car, my old beat-up Toyota, uh, what is it, a Highlander, uh, it's 2004. That's how old that thing is. It's the only thing I inherited from my dad. Beat-to-shit Toyota Highlander, but it runs, and it's got a CD player, and I've got these old CDs that I made years ago, and I've got them in the car. So I listen to this music that I, you know, I love. It, it made it onto these mixed CDs. Um, but I don't listen to that much music anymore unless I'm driving because I'm always I'm writing or I'm reading or I'm, I'm doing something that requires focus. And um, unfortunately, I've realized that listening to music in the background just it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't work cuz i can't pay attention to the music and i can't pay attention to what i'm doing so i don't listen to as much music as i as i'd like but i do when i'm in the car and the nearest grocery store is an hour from here so about once a week i do a i do a drive i was heading out because this house we just bought we're doing tons of work. I mean, we got bulldozers and plumbers and electricians and we're, we're in a rush because we got to be in the new place by the end of March, by the 24th of March, really, which is 14 days from today. So we're in a mad dash to get it in shape so we can actually get in there and not be living in a dust storm. And, um, so they forgot the, the plumber didn't have some shit. So I had to drive to Salida, you know, two hour drive to pick up a valve that he forgot or something. Anyway, I was listening to the CD and one of the songs that came on is one of my all time favorites. One of the few songs I sing along to and feel like I'm actually getting it right. It's called, Can You Get to That? by Funkadelic. <laughs>
So I'm working on a piece for Substack, and it's it's sort of um, mushroomed. Um, I, I wanted to write something about this current. I mean, it's a real crisis in mental health in teenagers in the United States and the English speaking world, pretty much. Suicide, self poisoning, depression, depressive symptoms, self harm—they're just skyrocketing. They're going crazy. Um, and it started around 2012 and there are a bunch of articles about it recently. Uh, Jonathan Haidt has written some great stuff. I recommended that I cross posted that on my Substack. Um, so if you follow me on Substack, you probably saw that in your inbox. Um, there's some really good research and, and, and interesting, uh, insights in, in those articles about what's happening and, and pretty much we, you know, not we, they agree that uh, it's the advent of cell phones, the ubiquity of cell phones and the apps, Instagram and the the Facebook and the Twitter and the TikTok and all this other shit um, that is literally driving people crazy. Uh, and And yet, <laughs> I don't think anything's going to happen because... Because we, I mean, it's it's this matrix kind of thing where I, I honestly believe that we live in a world, we live in the world of corporations. It's their world. It's like living among dinosaurs, right? Like the dinosaurs tromp around and they do whatever the fuck they want. And if they step on your nest, if you're a, you know, a little nesting rodent or something like our ancestors some kind of a shrew or a lemur or whatever if you know if a if a dinosaur steps on the tree that you're in you're fucked and that's just too bad and you know it doesn't matter i think that's pretty much how we are if a corporation wants your house your house is gone if they want your river your river is gone if they want to frack your Valley, they're going to frack your valley. And when I say they, I don't mean people. I mean these entities, these monsters. 
these these other life forms, which is what corporations are. And they're psychopathic. I highly recommend the documentary, The Corporation, that really gets into that. And, and they interview psychologists and they say, like, you know, if you if you list the characteristics of a corporation, it lines up perfectly with the characteristics of a psychopath. So we have created these psychopathic entities um, or they created themselves, depending how you you look at these things, right? The, the sort of system, emergent systems, emergent intelligence. And they rule the world. And it doesn't matter if little girls are killing themselves. It doesn't matter if people are dying from heart disease and cancer that gets spewed out by these corporations if they're making a profit and it's cheaper for them to have a bunch of people dying from the disease than it is to retool or reformulate their stuff they'll just keep rolling along when i was a little kid i remember thinking like that there was some sort of authority that that wouldn't let corporations do anything that was evil and one of the great disappointments in my life was realizing as a teenager that there was no authority, that the government is colludes with corporations. And that was before, I mean, that was back in the innocent 60s and 70s when, yeah, it was happening, but it wasn't like now. It was, this was before you know, uh, massive unlimited dark money was allowed into the political system with that Supreme Court case um, that that determined that money is speech and therefore you can throw as much money as you want at a senator because that's just your free speech. And then, oh, that senator happens to vote for your project or your, or, you know, to remove the regulations on your railroad cars. Um. Anyway, where was I going with all that? So I guess the point I was making is I started writing this paper or this thing for Substack. And it just started uh, mushrooming because I agree that the phones are a problem. But I think it's it's a deeper problem than that. And so my angle on this is that the problem is that nothing's real. and And I know this... This is a problem that, you know, as I said, when I was a kid, the government lied. I mean, Vietnam was a huge lie. But the thing is, you know, Watergate happened when I was 15. If you don't know about Watergate, you should look it up because Watergate was a huge, a huge thing, a huge national scandal. And what Nixon did was much less egregious than what several presidents have done since then. But what's happened is that our tolerance, we're exhausted. And the sheer volume of bullshit that's coming at us all the time has gotten so overwhelming, literally overwhelming, that it's almost like you can't, it's it's like that it's like those those um commercials 
I don't know if they still show these on TV when they were trying to raise money to help kids in in Ethiopia who are starving to death and they would show these this kid sitting there and they're just flies walking and buzzing around all over this kid's face and the kid doesn't even try to swat them, right? He's starving, he's dying. He's... And I feel like that's how we are with the bullshit that's coming at us. There's so much that we've given up. We're not trying to swat it away. We're not trying to protect ourselves. We're we're just overwhelmed by all the shit and all the lies and all the deception that's coming at us all the time. I mean, how many times have you clicked? This is they force you to participate. It's not just that they're lying to us and we need to fucking smile and pretend we don't notice. It's that they force us to participate in the lies as well. How many times have you clicked? I agree to some fucking online document to update your software. And you, I have read and agreed to the terms of this. You didn't read that. Everybody knows you didn't read that. And you don't know what you're agreeing to. I don't know what I'm agreeing to. They know that we don't know what we're agreeing to. It's a fucking shitstorm of bullshit. I think that's why teenagers are fucking killing themselves and cutting themselves and freaking out. Because they're coming to consciousness in a world that is just total overwhelming bullshit. So I started putting together a little list of things um, that are just... And one of the things that that sort of triggered this for me is I was looking for an office chair. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll splurge a little bit and I'll get a leather office chair. Um, it's, okay, this is embarrassing. I had an office chair and it had like a memory foam cushion or something, some kind of foam cushion like most of them do. okay i really this is weird this is one of these things i would say to a podcast audience of thousands of people but i probably wouldn't say this to a friend who was sitting in the room with me but the chair started smelling like farts it was this fucking office chair was like a fart absorbent foam and it and it just like sucked in the fart and then held it it was horrible and you know, I've been known to fart now and then, especially if I'm sitting in an office chair for five hours. And this thing was just like a fart collecting mechanism. It, it's horrible. Um, so I sent it back to Amazon. And I actually did say in the return, I was like, uh, I don't know, there's something wrong with this cushion. It smells really weird. And And then the company was like, let us give you your money back. And I think they were sort of like, let us give you your money back and please take down that review that says our chair smells like farts. Um, but anyway, so I got my money back. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll splurge on a leather office chair, right? Because leather doesn't is not a fart absorbent material as far as I know. So um, I, I went on Amazon and I searched leather office chair. And there are these office chairs coming up 120 bucks, 130, 140. I'm like, damn, that's awesome for a leather office chair. In the description, it says, you know, material, leather. Some of them said PU leather, 
I don't know what PU leather is, but okay. It says leather. It must be leather, right? Well, you see where I'm going with this. It's not leather. It's fucking polyester or polyurethane. I guess that's what the PU is. And then there's bonded leather, which is a mixture of polyurethane and like shredded scraps of leather, I guess. That they get, you know, from the sweepings in a leather manufacturing plant or something. And so leather isn't leather. But you but they're allowed to call it leather. It's not leather. It's not the skin of a cow or any other animal. It's made from oil, like most other things. It's plastic essentially, but it's legal to call it leather. It reminded me of a friend of mine who's a a guy I know who's a, a, a gem gemologist. And he told me that turquoise isn't turquoise. Very, very rarely when you look at a piece of turquoise, is it actually a stone? Turquoise, most 95% of the turquoise you'll see is plastic. Or it's plastic mixed with dust that comes when they cut turquoise and they mix it in with this plastic and, and it takes that the color, that sort of blue color. And then they, you know, bake it or something and it makes these random shapes that look like stones and then people put them in rings and whatever jewelry. It's not turquoise. It's not a rock that came out of the ground. Football, most sports in America are played on plastic grass. It's not grass. It's plastic free range chickens it means there's a fucking window in the giant chicken facility one window and they can call it free range fucking george santos in is in congress and this guy lied about everything we don't even know if his name is george santos so i started making this list of lies that are just it's just overwhelming it's it's a tide of lies just it's a tsunami of bullshit that's just washing over us american cheese american cheese is not cheese Velveeta is not cheese almond milk is not milk <laughs> it's just incredible and you start thinking about it and it's just like well no wonder these kids are freaking out because the smarter they are the more conscious they become the more they realize none of this is real. None of this is real. These people on Instagram who are all happy and, oh, you know, I've got $5,000 a month of passive income. Bullshit. I'm so happy. Uh, you see someone on social media talking about how great their fucking relationship is and how much they love. The That's bullshit. If you love your partner, why the fuck are you telling a bunch of strangers about it? Why do you have to make it into a performance? If you truly love someone, love them and shut the fuck up about it. Talk to them about it. You don't need to make a show out of it. I knew this guy years ago in the 80s. Oh, this is a weird story. I don't think I've told. I know I haven't told this story uh, on the podcast. Okay, here's the story. This is in the 80s. So this is what? I was living in New York. I was working in the Diamond District. So it's like 80, 
six, something like that, seven maybe. And I met this woman and she was really cool and attractive and we went out for dinner and it was going well. And, uh, and at the end of the dinner, I said, do you want to, you want to come back to my place and live near here or whatever? And she was like, you know what? I really would like to come to your place. Uh, but I need to be honest with you about my situation. It's kind of complicated. And uh, so her situation was that she had a boyfriend, maybe a husband, I don't know, but a partner, long-term partner who she loved. And he had, well, they had decided to have kids or to have a kid um, recently within the last year or so. And then shortly after that, this guy was diagnosed with leukemia. And he had had, um, you know, the, I don't know the specifics, but I know it's like, I guess they take bone marrow and then they fucking poison your body to try to kill all the cancer cells. And then they re-inject the bone marrow, which will hopefully start making blood cells again. So your immune system gets all fucked up and, and you also are sterile. So here's this woman, she's with this guy, they're in love. They decide, decide to have a kid before she gets pregnant. He's diagnosed with leukemia. Now he's sterile. And in fact, what she was sort of looking into with me was to find a guy who would, um, that she liked and was attracted to and, you know, whatever fit the criteria, but she basically wanted me to impregnate her so that she and this guy could have a kid. And so, as you may imagine, this freaked me out a little bit. Uh, I didn't let her know that, but definitely I was like, okay, that is... <laughs> I mean, you know, I love sex, but <clears throat> I don't know. That sounds complicated. And um, so she said, look, I know it's it's a lot to deal with, a lot to think about, and we've just met, and, you know, uh, why don't you come over to dinner next week and meet him, and, you know, we can hang out and just sort of take it easy. And so I did. Um, I went and met the guy, and he was a really nice guy. I don't remember his name. But I remember his job was that he did photo retouching. Now, I may have told this part of the story before without that, you know, the context. But uh, he, this is before digital photography when you people used film. And when there was something wrong with the photo or something that needed to be removed, uh, they did something called airbrushing, which I guess was when the the print was still wet from the chemical processing. Um, you would use a like a a very high pressure air jet, and you'd sort of blow it on the the chemicals and the colors as they're emerging. So you could blur it out or whatever. So it was like an analog Photoshop kind of thing. 
And he told me that his biggest clients were Playboy and Penthouse. And most of the work would be like, just remove this mole or one of the models has a little scar or, you know, maybe she had something in her teeth or whatever. And you just sort of taking out these tiny little imperfections. But he said a lot of times what he was doing was they would use, they would have three different women pose in the same place, like sitting, let's say sitting on a chair with their feet in the same place, their arms in the same place and everything. And he would take those three photographs and he would join them together so that you had like the legs and ass of one woman and then the sort of torso and breasts of another woman and the neck and head of a third woman. And he would join them all together and it looked like one woman. And so, you know, and I immediately thought like, holy shit, how many like 15-year-old boys are looking at these images and being like, that's what I want. Oh, I want to meet a woman who looks like that. There is no woman who looks like that. That woman doesn't exist. And the other thing he told me was that they would put ace bandages wrap them under the breasts of of large-breasted women and then wrap the bandages up around the woman's neck so that the bandages would hold her breasts up. And then he would go in afterwards and airbrush that out. So you would see these women with large breasts, but their breasts are sitting up high on their chest. That doesn't exist. That's not real. There's no woman in the world with real breasts that look like that. But then continuing the breast thing, now we're at a point. So we went from that to women having breast implants, but being kind of like secretive about it, right? Because they wanted to appear that they were real breasts. And now we're at a point with the fucking Kardashians and, and you know, the whole culture has gotten to a point where the fake breasts are the point. Like nobody's even hiding it anymore. It's like, yeah, I'm half plastic. Yeah, I got calf implants. I got shit injected into my lips. My teeth aren't real. Nothing's real. It's all a fucking lie. But it's like the the roses that look nice, but they don't have a smell. But it works. Because it's all visual. It's all surface. How can you not be depressed when you look around and realize that's the world that you're stepping into? Anyway, coming soon on Substack, that uplifting read about how the world is a tsunami of bullshit. I think I'm going to call it, what's the title I have for it there? Uh, Peak... Um, hold on. I'm going to my, have we reached peak fake? And I think this is going to be a multi-part series. Yeah. So head on over to Substack, chrisryan.substack.com and make sure you subscribe. All right. Uh, here's something I noticed also while driving, I should probably drive more. I, I, maybe that's the only time I really do any of this thinking I should be driving more. Um, I was listening to the radio, the Fox 
the Valley's classic rock station. And uh, they played a song I have heard many, many, many times. And if you have ever listened to the radio, particularly classic rock, you've heard it too. Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Uh, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell sing the version I'm about to play for you. And I love this. And if you've listened to me for a while, you know this is one of my favorite things is to find find something in a piece of writing that I had missed before and that most people miss that really changes the meaning of, of, of this piece of art. Uh, the example I've discussed many times, including on Rogan's podcast was, um, Hey, yeah, uh, by outcast, which, uh, if you haven't heard me talk about it, essentially, the story is that it sounds like a really happy rocking song. Everybody's dancing and getting down and it's a party. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's really, really sad. It's about how dysfunctional relationships are and, and nobody knows how to stay together. And thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together because we don't know how. If what they say is nothing lasts forever, then what makes, then what makes, then what makes love the exception? Oh, why, oh, why, oh. Why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? That's not a happy song. But if you don't really listen to the lyrics, you won't realize that. You'll just dance along like an idiot and think, this is a great, funny, upbeat song. Anyway, this song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I've always listened to this song, and I've always thought it's a love song. Of course, it's just a fucking love song. Let me read you some of the lyrics. Listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Don't worry, baby, just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. Okay, now, right from the beginning, you know, it's got this kind of classic uh framing of like nothing can stop me from getting to you right like the the gravitational pull between us is so intense that i can i'll go over any mountain i'll go across any river i'll you know whatever and there's no obstacle that will stop me but there is a hint that there's something strange going on here because he says if you need me no matter where you are no matter how far. So, is this a long-distance relationship? Kind of seems like it, right? But if you need me, call me. Is this like, is he singing to his daughter? Like, what? what is this? Because if it's, a, if it's his partner, well, then why would she be so far away? Like, what's going on? Is Okay. Anyway, um, remember, and here's the the line that like rang a bell when I heard it. And I was like, what? What's going on here? It's the next verse. He says, remember the day I set you free. I told you, you could always count on me, girl. And from that day on, I made a vow. I'll be there when you want me some way, somehow. 
What is going on here? Remember the day I set you free. I told you you could always count on me. This is a song, I think, written to a former lover, a former, someone that he, it's it's sung by a man and a woman, so he, she, you know, it gets confusing because they're both singing it to, you know, presumably someone of the opposite sex, or maybe not, but in any case, they're singing it to an ex-partner, I think, and I think it. what they're saying is, Okay, we're no longer together, but I love you. I'll always love you, and I'll always be there for you, wherever you are, no matter how far. Because the day I set you free, I told you you could always count on me. When is the last time you heard a love song being sung to an ex-partner? I think this is amazing. There's nothing like it. I've, I can't think of an, another song that's written to someone that the singer used to be with and he's or she is promising this this like devotion. I mean, there are songs, certainly songs about exes. I mean, I can think of several songs by Dylan, for example. Tangled Up in Blue is an amazing song where he's recounting different relationships that he had with different women um, beautifully. If you don't know that song, holy shit. And also, look at the lyrics. It's, It's like a Shakespearean sonnet, the way it's written. It's perfectly constructed the rhyme scheme the number of syllables in each line it's really something um or there's uh if you see her say hello it's also about an ex or um shelter from the storm is a beautiful song about an ex but these or uh don't think twice it's all right is a song written to a woman that he's broken up with and it's kind of bitter it's a real it's it's a very subtle fuck you song um but a song written to someone that you're breaking up with or broken up with and you're expressing your undying love for them i can't think of another example it's amazing If you're ever in trouble, I'll be there on the double. Just send for me, oh baby. My love is alive way down in my heart, although we are miles apart. If you ever need a helping hand, I'll be there on the double just as fast as I can. Don't you know there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Wow. I think we need more songs like that. We need more recognition that a relationship can end and the love continues. I think that's the more natural progression of things than what we've got now, the sort of standard script of uh, we're breaking up, I can't talk to you anymore, I, I need a clean start, a clean break, we need to 
stop being in contact, you know, unless we have kids, in which case we resentfully, you know, raise the kids sort of, you do your part, I do my part. That's not how to do it. That's not how to do it. Relationships are organic things and they come to life and they, they transition and sometimes there's nothing we can do about that. But that doesn't mean that the respect and the love and the accumulated memories have to be denied or forgotten. I think there should be words in our language for the new partner of your ex-partner who you is part of your family. I mean, you may have heard me talk about Nacho, who was the man who was with my one of my exes, and I fucking love that guy. Uh, and, you know, what do you call him? Like, you, you got a word for your brother-in-law, you got a word for your second cousin once removed. What's the word for the guy who married your ex and invited you to the wedding and is one of your best friends. What's the, who is that guy? I mean, there's gotta be a word for that, right? Or the, you know, the wife of the man that you used to be with, what do you call her? Cause that's a relationship and it's a very common and an important relationship. Anyway, we need a word for that. Speaking of words, I was reading this uh, this review of Chris Rock's recent special. Uh, I was in the Washington Post, and the reviewer was being, you know, very woke. And the the reviewer wrote something. It was like, and someone, you know, had to make a spectacle of their self. Their self. That's not a word. I taught English for 20, 20 years. Their self is not a fucking word. Maybe it is now. Maybe I didn't get the memo. But they didn't want to use himself um, because that would assume that the person was a man. Uh, they didn't want to say herself. Um, themselves would have been plural, but they're referring to a single person but they don't want to do that gender thing. So they said their self and it's in the Washington post. So I guess it got by the Washington post editor. So I guess, is this English now? Is this their self? Anyway. So send out, uh, send out some love to your ex who you still care about, who you still love. And, uh, yeah, hold some good feelings for their self. <laughs> this is Marvin Gaye and, uh, what's her name? Tammy Terrell, I think. Uh, Tammy Terrell, right. Ain't no mountain high enough. And I will leave you with that. I hope you're having a good time out there. Thank you, as always, for your attention and your time. And for chuckling along or getting annoyed at me or whatever reaction it is that you're having, uh, it's, it's an honor to engage with you in whatever way we are engaging. I will catch you on the other side.